0: Good morning. Welcome to Redeemer this morning. I want to extend a special welcome to anyone that may be new, maybe visiting for the first time, or maybe you've been here a few times and are looking for a way to get involved with our church. We're glad that you're here and look forward to worshiping with you and getting to know you. We have a time of fellowship after the service out in the fellowship area uh, where we can enjoy some coffee and cookies. And you can also text welcome to the number on the screen. That number also, after the slide is gone, is on the back page of your bulletin. It gives us an opportunity to connect with you and uh, find a way in which you may be looking to get plugged in or looking for prayer, um, but a great way for you to connect with us. There's also, on the note of coffee and cookies, an opportunity for you to get involved. We are looking for volunteers for February. So if you like coffee and if you like cookies, Uh, We need your help, because we are currently got nobody signed up for February. So if we could uh, please take a look at that. There will be a sign-up sheet over by the uh, coffee station, by the kitchen window. And uh, we could certainly use some more people in that ministry. It's a great way to get involved if uh, maybe you don't know a lot of people or you want to get plugged in. Um, Ministries like that are a wonderful opportunity. And there's no member requirement for it, so you're good there as well. Uh, There's also one other new ministry opportunity that I wanted to highlight. It's in your bulletin. It's referred to as Boiler Room, which is a reference to Charles Spurgeon's Boiler Room, which if you're not familiar with, you can read the details there. But it's a group of prayer warriors that Spurgeon really attributed the success of his ministry to, uh, was those that were in constant prayer. And so it's a group that will be meeting before the service with Pastor Jeff. If you're interested in that, you can see Pastor Jeff And um, just a great way for you to get connected and support the ministry of this church. There's many, many groups that pray for our church on a regular basis, and this is another one that we're very excited to be launching. Tonight, we have two things to note. One is that Caleb Nelson will be giving his presentation on the mission work that he's preparing for in Papua New Guinea. And that's a great thing to uh, just get more information about Caleb's passion for mission. If you haven't gotten a chance to connect with Caleb, he's that guy in the red right there. And it just would be a great opportunity for you to learn more about how our church is sending people all over the world to proclaim the good news. And also Larry Wilson is a retired OPC pastor and member of our presbytery. He will be preaching tonight as well, so we'll welcome Larry. Also on February 5th, John Shaw, who's the General Secretary of Home Missions, there's a slide here that gives some more information, and it will also be circulated on the monitors out there. He will be here um, and uh, will be giving more information about home missions uh, in the OPC. And again, just a great way for us to learn more about how we as a church can support these efforts. So again, more information to come on that, but I wanted to highlight that. That will be February 5th. At this time, let's take a moment and prepare our hearts for worship.
1: Our God calls us, invites us, draws us to Himself, uh, that we might come and take refuge in Him, uh, that we might find uh, rest that we desperately need, that we might be satisfied with His goodness above all other things. And our call to worship this e- uh, this morning reminds us of the, this truth. And so, as as I proclaim this call to worship, I would encourage you to consider this God that we draw near to. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, Do we see light? Let's stand and sing to this God. Come thou fount, come thou king. go to our God in prayer. Our God and King, you are indeed the God of life and light. You are the source of all blessedness and you delight to bless your people. And in your Son, you have graced us with every spiritual blessing that we could need. Forgiveness, righteousness, holiness, wisdom, sonship, joy, and peace. Lord, we gather now as Your people to rejoice and boast in You and You alone. So please, Lord, bless us together that we might offer You the worship that You desire, that we might find in You our soul's satisfaction. Guide us. Lead us. Direct us to You. Lord, we ask these things only in the merits of Christ. Amen. Let's continue to praise with trust and obey. Seated. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Exodus chapter 20. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 3. These verses coordinate with our unison confession of faith from the larger catechism. This uh, series that we've been a uh, series of, of scripture readings and confessions have been reflecting on God's law, and we're in the first commandment. The larger catechism is obviously quite large, larger than the shorter catechism, and this is to our benefit uh, because the Ten Commandments were designed to be short expressions of the righteousness that God requires, of, of the love that we're called to show for God and to show for neighbor, and these short statements can be very general. They can apply in so many circumstances. Unfortunately, very often we are very busy, and because of the sin that's in our hearts, we like to just skip right over that and think, oh, I've done that, covered that, I got that made. The larger catechism can be really useful in helping us to see the many ways these short statements actually apply to a a broad range of ways that we fall short of the glory of God. And so as we confess uh, our faith with the larger catechism, we did, I would encourage you to reflect on, on these things. You, areas that you may have not thought about, but do reveal the ways that we, that we do not pursue loving God the way we ought to. Uh, so I'll read from Exodus 20, and then together, after I read the question, we'll respond together. This is the word of our God And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. What are the sins forbidden in the first commandment? The sins forbidden in the first commandment are making men the lords of our faith and conscience Sliding and despising God and His commands, resisting and grieving of His Spirit, discontent and impatience at His dispensations, charging Him foolishly for the evils He inflicts on us, and ascribing the praise of any good we either are, have, or can do to fortune idols ourselves or any other creature now there may be some of those words there that are challenging but I would encourage you especially those first few ones that we that we confessed making men lords of our faith and conscience how often do we allow the opinions of man to override the commands of God how often do we not speak when we should speak How often should we act when we fail to act because of fear of what someone else might think, even though God has commanded us to do that? So very often we make men lords of our conscience and our faith rather than the spirit who dwells within us. So let's go to our God now and confess our sin both privately and then I'll lead us in a time of corporate confession of sin. Father of mercy, God of grace, Lord, we draw near to you to confess our sin. Lord, when we reflect upon your law, we see what we have not accomplished in ourselves. Lord, we have had other gods before you. Maybe not gods that we recognize uh, in the ways that we tend to think, but But Lord, we do make other people the Lord of our life rather than You. We let the opinions and thoughts of others drive the the, the actions that we take, the things that we say, more than, than what Your Word has revealed to us, more than what Your Spirit within us testifies to. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of the ways that we attribute the good things that you bring into our lives to to other things lord especially ourselves we are a prideful people we think that the blessing that we have in this life the houses that we have the the cars that we drive the vacations that we take the relationships that that we have lord that these come about because of our effort that we have procured them. Lord, we, we make ourselves our own gods. Lord, and while we may uh, we, we may look out into the world and see a, a society that we, that we accuse of being godless. Lord, how often do we live as functional atheists? Forgive us. Forgive us for not acknowledging the ways that you have been at work in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would give us a greater awareness of who you are, of the many ways that you do care and bless us. Lord, set our minds upon Christ, our crucified and risen Savior, who indeed pleads perfectly in your presence, Lord, who continues to bless us as as our great high priest, Lord, Remind us of the Spirit that dwells within us who is enlivening us day after day that, that God, You indeed dwell in and among us. Lord, help us to see Your goodness and Your grace each day and give You the praise that You deserve, Lord, with our mouths and with our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we have have confessed our sin, trusting in what Christ has done. Hear now these, these words of, of pardon, this promise of pardon that we have from Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, the song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The Lord has set us on the firm rock that is His righteousness. If you have trusted in Christ, you you have no need to fear. You can trust and know that Christ is for you. Let's stand and sing to this God who has redeemed us with mercies anew.
2: Please join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Lord God, we give you thanks for your heart for us, that you are a God who is ready to pity those who are suffering in the delight and happiness of your creation. We give you thanks that you sent your Son to die for our sins, that we are raised with him in his resurrection, and that Jesus is in heaven praying for us even now, loving us, knowing us fully. Thank you for your love that will never fail, for your embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean, how attractive or revolting or how faithful and fickle we presently are, but your love is always constant. We give thanks to your loving God who always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. That you welcome us in your house today that we may gather together to sing your praises, to hear your word, and to encourage one another. Lord God, we give you thanks for this taste of heaven that you've given us even right now. We see it be as Pastor Jeff as he brings us to your word this morning. Grant him the wisdom and courage to proclaim your word well. And be with us as we listen and give us attentive minds and hearts that we may come to know you better. Lord, we give you thanks for the many gifts you've given this congregation. We give you thanks for Stephen Gaber for a healthy birth. We give you thanks for the other expected parents and for the many children you've blessed the congregation with. We give you thanks for the other gifts that are used in service. From the printing of the bulletin, to the musicians, to the A.V. group, to just simple conversations at church, to even being here. Lord, these gifts are all from you. We give you thanks for the offering Brother take. This is also from your hand, Lord. Be as a deacon, give them wisdom to minister to these. Uh, well. In your name we pray, amen. Mm-hmm.
3: Thank you.
4: We now come to the time when we pray for each other and for a congregation, uh, as well as our community and our presbytery. Just a couple of things before we go to prayer that we'll be praying about, and rather than announcing them in prayer, I thought I'd just tell you first. So the first, as you might know, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, as is being prayed about in many churches, and we'll do the same. Um, We do pray for God's preservation and care for life both for children in womb as well as all of those who exist in our society. So we'll be praying about that. The second thing I would alert you to, is, many of you know, we had Presbytery um, in Ontario um, on Friday of this previous week, and there are some very good things that happened as well as some very challenging things. One of the very good things that God is doing in our Presbytery is that He is increasing the desire for gospel uh, churches and preaching in Ontario so we're going to pray this morning that God would raise up pastors and evangelists who are willing to go across the border to proclaim the gospel in Ontario. Uh, the second thing is God has given us some very good leadership at Presbytery. I'm very thankful this morning for our Chairman Vern Pignalli and the way he conducts the meetings. That is very, very good. And the challenging side, we have a mission work that is closing in Maryville Mission OPC. And so we'll pray for Reverend Cavanaugh as well as those who are at that mission work. And then finally, and perhaps most challenging, uh, we heard the public consideration of charges against two pastors in our presbytery. And this is not something that is ordinary. If you're not familiar with the OPC, you think, well, does that happen every time or once a year? It doesn't. And part of what I want to pray for is that God would caution us against jumping to conclusion one way or the other. Anyone can make a charge. It's quite another thing to substantiate those charges. But there's also an investigating committee. As a presbytery, we take those charges very, very seriously. And so, over the next number of months, presbytery through an investigation committee will be considering those charges, whether they have merit, and whether they should be brought before the presbytery as a whole for consideration. So, please pray for that. And then, finally, tomorrow, as you might have noticed from the slides and all the Facebook posts and from the announcements, we have our one-day conference, How to Walk with Your Congregation Without Losing Yourself. And Sarah, if she's here somewhere, is she here? Well, I'm going to do the embarrassing thing of asking you to stand, because I want to pray for you. At the beginning of this prayer, when I'm finished, I'll go on to pray for the things. You can feel free to be seated, okay? So I'm going to pray for you. Please just stand there right there, because we're, not only am I going to lead us in prayer, we're going to be praying for you and for the others who will be coming. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we do desire, as a prophet said, that the knowledge of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And part of what is necessary for that to occur is that there would be pastors and other leaders in the church who are confident and able by your Spirit to lead your church. And there are many ways in which that sometimes goes wrong. And we pray for Sarah tomorrow as she leads us in understanding what it means to be human beings made in the image of God and how often that image is distorted by our impressions of things and how we look inward rather than upward to our Savior in order to find solutions. Lord, you've given her incredible training and wisdom. And we pray for her as she presents that you would give her mouth freedom in speaking, all that she has prepared and learned and is ready to present. And we pray for all of those who come that you would also give them ears to hear. Lord, as pastors, I would confess on my own part, we often struggle with pride, a sense that we don't need to listen because we have training, and we're able to help others. And when we need help, we simply turn to our own devices. But Lord, you've given us the wisdom of the church in order for us to learn, and we do pray for our dear sister as she makes those presentations tomorrow, that you would give her wisdom, and that you would give her boldness, so that you give her courage, that can only come from your spirit. And we also join this morning with others across our nation as we pray for the preservation of human life. The Bible says that in the beginning, you created them male and female, in the image of God you created them. And we believe that every single person who is around us is unique and that you have made them after your own image. And because you have made them in your image, they have inherent value. People are not simply there for our use. Those around us are not there for us to take advantage of, to just receive from. They are not nuisances to us. And we would confess, Lord, that often that is the way we treat each other. And we especially lament and mourn and pray for your forgiveness as a nation for the way in which we treat unborn children, many of whom have their lives taken from them because they're an inconvenience. I rejoice, Lord, this morning with the members of this church for all the ways we see care being provided for your church and for your people and even those outside of our community through the work of this body. It is a reason to praise you for those who willingly give their time and their energy to help those in need. We rejoice, in the way in which you encourage self-sacrifice for the benefit of those around us. And we pray that as a nation that you would give us that desire to care for life at whatever stage it is, but especially protection for those who are in womb. And we pray for the day with boldness this morning when there would be no need for abortion, that no one would look at abortion and say, that is an option I would choose because there's been such a heart change in those who might consider that as a good option, that it is no longer needed or desired by them. Father, instead, we do ask, Lord, that you would raise up in our community and in our nation those who not only desire that protection, but work toward it, whether it's locally, at our state government, at a federal level. Lord, we do pray for that this morning. Father, we also pray for our presbytery. As I've already ported to your people, there are many good things that are happening. We are thankful for the gospel need that exists in Ontario, Canada, a nation that is in some ways a bit further down the road to secularization than what we find in the United States. And while there are many challenges in that nation, there are also great opportunities People who have never considered Christianity before the value of Jesus Christ are doing so now because all the other ways in which they have tried to find hope have disappeared before them like a vapor in the wind. And now the need is there, and we pray this morning that you would raise up in our church and in our presbytery pastors and evangelists, those who desire to bring the gospel to those who are hurting and need to hear. May the change of culture and that border not or prevent some, even in this congregation, from receiving the training and prevent them from willingly hearing that call to go and to spread the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also pray with lament and mourning, for a mission work in Maryville, Inter- uh, in, uh, Indiana that closed or will be closing at the end of this month. We pray for Brother Kavanaugh and his family as he seeks another place to serve you. We pray for his heart that he would not be overly discouraged. We pray for the church members who will now be looking for other places to go, guide them, protect them. And we pray for the community that has watched this mission work in existence and develop. And now will cease to exist. We pray that the community would not learn the lesson that Christianity, that Jesus Christ is not important, that he is transitory, or that he comes and goes. Instead, we pray for other churches in that community, that their witness to those who do not know would only be strengthened. And Father, our our hearts are also heavy as we pray for our presbytery as this investigation occurs over the next number of months with these charges that have been brought publicly we pray for those who have been charged we ask that what is honest and true and just would be done we pray for those who are making the charges that they would also seek what is right and true and just we pray for our presbytery lord that we would not avoid the difficult things Instead, where there is a need to really understand what is right and true, that we would do the work and we would do it with diligence. That where there is sin, we can say, this is sin. Where there is a need for redemption, we can point to that redemption that comes in Jesus Christ. That we would not make a mockery out of the law of God. Instead, we would do what pleases you what protects those who may be harmed and also witnesses to our culture that we take what is right and wrong very seriously. And then we also pray this morning with joy as well as intercession for those in our congregation. We pray with joy this morning with the Gablers in the birth of little Stephen. Oh Lord, we are thankful for him For other children who have been recently born as well as those who are still in womb, we pray for protection and care for them. We pray for Bob Davison as he recovers from his knee surgery and now as his back is bothering him, give him relief and we pray that also he would have healing. We pray for Dwayne Torrance. We thank you that you have brought him through his struggle with COVID and now we pray that you would give him also strength as he continues to struggle with a cold. Lord, we love our brother. And we pray for your divine protection and healing. We pray for Richard Bauma as he continues to recover and to undergo these stem cell treatments. We pray they would be effective. We pray for Mickey Kite. We ask, Lord, that you would protect and care for her, that you would surround her with your love, and that she would know not only your love, but also the love of your people. We pray for Zach Francois. We ask for your protection. That he and others with him would be able to move freely around in Haiti. We pray for Clarice Lorup that you would give her wisdom in the decisions that need to be made about her treatment. And we pray for Gail Stahl, Lord, protect her and care for her, preserve her, Lord, and give her courage from day to day. Lord, we are grateful that we can pray to you. And it is true that when we pray to you, you say that you answer. And you hear our prayers. And now as we come to your word, we ask that your prayer would be, rather our prayers would be answered there as well. We need your Spirit's help to understand, to speak freely, boldly. We need your help in order for our hearts to be open and receive. And we pray for your protection against the evil one who wants to snatch this word away. Lord, we pray for all of this as we come in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go in our Bibles to the Gospel of John this morning. We're in John chapter 4, verses 43 through 46. We've been moving through a series in the Gospel of John, and this morning we come to a story that I believe is relatively less known, and yet is a powerful, powerful message for us. You'll be able to follow along either in the Bibles that are under the chairs in front of you or the screen behind me. We believe the Word of God is effective, able to convert and change, and we pray that's exactly what would happen in our hearts this morning. John chapter 4, beginning as verse 43, hear the word of God. After two days, he, that is Jesus, departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of God. Many years ago, I was a chaplain for a police department in a small community. And one of the officers came to me on one afternoon and he said, You are the only religious man I know. Would you be willing to marry me Am I a fiancé?" My practice then, as now, to, was to agree to do so as long as we had premarital counseling. And since they had no idea what that involved, they willingly agreed. And for five weeks, we went through the story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, notice it's only four, where I explained to them what the Bible said about what's wrong, how we find redemption in Jesus Christ, and the hope of the future. My agreement with them was not that they believed everything I said. In fact, they openly said they didn't. But they were at least willing to consider it, and I think that was honestly true. You notice those were four lessons, but I was fearful about the fifth. You know what the fifth was? You know, don't you? Roles in marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I saved it for number five, not because it naturally belonged there, but again, as I say, I was afraid of what they would say. I remember when they came into the office to talk about the fifth lesson. I began with the future husband. That seemed like the natural place to begin when you're afraid. And I said, what did you think of the lesson? He said, I did read it, I considered it, and it is backwards, it was offensive, we will not be doing it this way at all. Now to appreciate what's about to happen, you must remember, or perhaps I have to tell you, That the first time the fiance came to my office, she was wearing a t shirt that I'll not describe to you because it had a very strong sexual innuendo on it. She had a baseball cap that was curled, as is somewhat common in rural areas of the U.S., all the way around, pulled very far over her eyes. She was very uncomfortable. She had been through every other lesson. And now, as I turned to her and I asked her, What did you think? I thought this will not be good. What did you think about the lesson that you read? She gave me a very long pause. She said, I have been married two times before. In my first marriage, my husband abused me, and I left. In the second marriage, my husband eventually left me. In this third marriage, I've come every week hoping that something you would say would help my marriage stick, this marriage, long-term. She said, as much as I don't want to say it, this is what I think. That if God gave me a husband who would love me like that, I think I'd actually be willing to follow him. I don't remember what happened after that. I do remember going home and saying to my wife something along the lines, I had a really remarkable day. It's amazing, the truth of God's word. I've told that story a few other times as well, and every time I've told it, what's come to mind is this, oh, the beauty of the law of God that he describes a Christian marriage, and even this woman and this man, I think they're still married, even she could recognize the beauty of what God describes as a biblical marriage because the Bible says so. Isn't that amazing? She wanted something better, and the Bible presented to her something better. That's the way I've told the story. And it's true. The Bible's description of marriage is beautiful and good, and I commend it to you this morning. But I also want to tell you this, that my understanding of what happened in that office many years ago is really inadequate, or maybe I need to be a little more confident and say I was wrong about something really basic and important about what happened there. And that's why I've introduced this passage with this story. Because this passage helps us understand something very basic that we tend to miss over and over and over again. Here's the thing that we miss. I'm going to say it to you. You're going to hear it, and then I want you to think about it as I explain it. What this passage tells us is that true faith happens. True faith, true belief in Jesus Christ happens when what we seek, what we want is eclipsed by what Jesus gives. Now you're going to think to yourself, I don't understand what that means. That's fine. That's part of the reason we're here, isn't it? So I can explain that to you. How does true faith begin? when what we seek is eclipsed by what Jesus gives. That's this story. I'm going to start by explaining to you what they wanted from verses 43 through 47. If you've been following along in our sermons on the Gospel of John, you'll notice that the previous part of chapter 4 is the famous story of the woman at the well. Many people know that story. We spent a couple of weeks thinking about it. And now John pivots this unfolding presentation of the Gospel of John, all of which you should remember is really meant to answer this question, why should I believe that Jesus Christ himself is the hope of the world? Why should I believe that? That's the burden of the Gospel of John. That's really what Jesus meant to convince the woman at the well. And now he pivots to this story about an official, one that you probably can't remember very well because he wants to convince us of another reason to believe that you should put your confidence in Jesus. And Jesus moves from Canaan in Galilee to Samaria and now he is coming back to Galilee again, and this small town of Cana. Remember the first miracle Jesus did in verse 46, it says, was in this small town turning water into wine. So you can imagine when we read this story, it says the Galileans welcomed Jesus back into their town because not only had they seen that first miracle of water into wine, or at least they'd heard about it, But now we read that the Galileans welcomed Jesus into their city because it says, look at your text, they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem. Now, what is that that Jesus did in Jerusalem? Glad you asked. If you go back to chapter 2, you'll find out that John records Jesus doing something remarkable in Jerusalem something that doesn't seem so remarkable to us. We've perhaps heard it many times, or maybe this is your first time, but regardless, it was truly one of the most remarkable things Jesus did. Way more impressive, as hard as it may seem for us to believe, than turning water into wine. In John chapter 2, it says that Jesus, while he was at the feast in Jerusalem, went into the temple, and when he was there, he drove out the money changers and the animals from the court of the temple they were using the court of the temple the place that the ordinary person would come to bring their sacrifices and there were people in that court using the place of the worship of God to make money and it wasn't just making money he was charging most likely way more than they should have these were people turning worship into a cash opportunity and it was harming the worship of God, especially those who were perhaps least able to provide for them financially, for themselves financially. And in that story, the Bible says the Jews demanded to know from Jesus on what sign he might give to prove the authority that he could do such a thing. On what authority, Jesus, do you drive out these money changers from the temple. And his answer, and this is the reason these people in Galilee would have been so impressed. It's the answer he gives. Do you remember the answer he gives? It's this. Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. The Jews respond by saying, are you crazy, Jesus? It's taken taken many, many decades to build this temple and you're going to rebuild it in three days. And it says, John records, but Jesus was referring to his own body and his resurrection. Now maybe that seems strange, but let me tell you the reason why Jesus does that. Jesus is telling us that he is the authority to govern the place where God dwells because he is the dwelling of God with us. It is not just meeting with God in the temple No, Jesus is saying God is here for all these generations who've come to the temple to wonder how can we worship God and please him through these sacrifices. Jesus is claiming in the cleansing of the temple that Jesus, God himself, has arrived. Can you imagine the news that would have been? No wonder the Galileans had heard what had happened in Jerusalem it wasn't just miracles that jesus performed it was the audacious claim that god himself had arrived the temple anticipation was fulfilled oh my word can you imagine what that would have been for the people of israel Literally the thing they had looked forward to for all of their nation's existence, Jesus was claiming, had now arrived. This is the biggest thing. So what would you do if after Jesus being in Jerusalem, making that great claim, he now comes into your village? What would you do if after These miracles and signs that Jesus performed in Judea, this Jesus now came to your small town, back to Cana. What would you do? Well, the Bible tells us. You would naturally ask yourself the question, well, what can Jesus do for me now? Sort of a take on the advertising slogan, what can Brown do for you? (laughs) They're asking, what can Jesus do for me Jesus can turn water into wine. He claims that he's got himself. I've got my problems too. What can Jesus do for me? That's certainly the question that is going to be asked by this government official in the following verses. But I want you to see that really is at the heart of what these people were wondering more generally in Galilee. Jesus himself says it when he says a prophet has no honor in his home country. What he's saying is a prophet has no recognition. The word there is specifically about recognition in his home country. And in fact, the word that John uses to describe the welcome that the Galileans give to Jesus is not the warm welcome that you had when your grandparents or when your grandchildren came over during the Christmas season. What happened when they showed up at your house? You didn't stand by the window and say, huh, honey, somebody's here. Well, that's kind of interesting. No, if you're like us, you ran out to the driveway. Can we help you carry anything? Can I give you a hug? Welcome. Let's explain to you what's been going on in life. This is a great reunion. Welcome to our home. No, what we find here is more of the welcome that you give when you get your change back. Does anybody get change back at the grocery store anymore? Used to be when people got change back and you said, thank you. And the cashier said, welcome. Welcome. That's a very mild welcome. Because they were not welcoming Jesus himself. Instead, the question they were asking themselves is, what can Jesus do for me? And the desire of many is made explicit then in the request this official makes to Jesus. He's called an official, most likely serving Herod Antipas, the Jewish sort of king who existed in Israel at this time. And because he was attached to Herod Antipas, he had a standing most people didn't have. And he probably felt more confident than the average person to come to Jesus and say, my son is dying, would you come? In fact, there's a sense of even forcefulness in what the official says, come down to Capernaum and heal my son. I tell my soldiers, I tell my officials, I tell the underlings in my office, Do it and they do it. I'm coming to you asking the same. Again, let me simply note that in chapter 2, verse 23, the Bible had indicated Jesus had performed other signs at Jerusalem. They're not recorded for us in the Scriptures. Some of them may very well have been healings. And this official now wants the same for his son. Why can't Jesus do that for our house? If you want me to explain to you sort of verbally what this man was thinking, it goes as simple as this. Jesus, I'm see, I see that you can do it. I've seen you do it in many, many places to many other people. I've heard the claim that you've made. Jesus, now heal my son. Do it for me. Now let's just step back for a moment and let me ask you, as someone who's reading this text with me, is this a bad request? Is it a bad request? This man had a son who was dying. He was very close to death, the Bible records. Is that a bad request? If you say, no, I'm with you, it's not a bad request. The Bible commends that request in other places. And James says, if anyone's sick, call for the elders of the church that they may pray over him and the man might be healed. It's not a bad request to ask that God would heal someone close to us. I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, I'm sure all of us, if we're believers, have prayed similar things. Have you not? We prayed, in fact, this morning for members of our church who, is sick, who are sick. We pray that sincerely. When it's someone close to you, pray it even more fervently. Imagine you have a child who is in the hospital, very, very sick, I've been in that spot. And I've prayed like I've never prayed before. Heal. Protect. Care. Maybe you have a spouse. Maybe you had a friend over the last couple of years who first contracted COVID, then it went to the lungs, and pretty soon that friend is in the hospital. Did you not pray fervently that the Lord would heal that person? Or maybe... You're in a marriage that struggles all the time. In fact, you barely managed to make it to church this morning with a smile on your face because you've always got these little, these little differences of opinion, little squabbles that pop up all the time. Is it embarrassing that I'm talking about that this morning? Maybe that feels embarrassing, but you feel that in your heart. And maybe you've prayed even last night over and over and over again, Father, heal my marriage. That's not a bad prayer. In fact, it's commended to you in the Scriptures. All of us have asked God for things like this. And it's not wrong to ask the Lord to heal someone who's close to us, to answer our prayer. That's not wrong at all. But if you would just walk one step further with me, Let me ask you this. Let's say that God gives you everything that you're asking for. He heals your child, your spouse, your friend. Your marriage is restored. You are healthy. Let's even go beyond. He blesses you with so much money you don't have to worry about it. To even be more imaginative, your children grow up and they are thrilled to call you every day just to see how mom and dad are. Let's imagine that all of your wildest dreams come true, all the things that you've prayed for. You have a wonderful marriage, a wonderful life. Here's a question I have for you. Would that be enough? Is that enough? Or to use the example of the fiancé at the beginning of this sermon, would a loving husband if her third marriage was a loving husband who loved her as Christ loves the church, and she would have a great marriage, would that be enough? There are many, many people who think to themselves, maybe you're among them. Yeah, it would be. If all of these things were the way I wanted them It would be enough. Life would be right and I would be happy. So let me press you just a little further, if I can ask you your permission, to probe into your heart just a little further. If all those things were right, how long would they be enough? When we pick up the story again in verse 48, Jesus is talking to the Father. I've explained to you what the Father was seeking, what he wanted. Let me show you now what Jesus gave. In verse 48, the Father is speaking with Jesus. And Jesus says to the Father, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now you might miss what Jesus is saying. At least there's a potential, so let me explain. Jesus is criticizing a certain kind of faith. It is a belief in Jesus based on what Jesus is able to do. Now I've said it, haven't I? It is a faith based on what we see done and not in the one who is doing it. And Jesus is saying to the Father, you will not believe unless you see signs and wonders. That's not faith. Getting what you're asking for, even the healing of your son, is not faith. In fact, if that's all it ever is, he says, you will never believe. It is not possible. Because what Jesus is asking the man to do And what I'm asking you to do this morning is not to believe based on what all the things that Jesus can do for you. It is actually a faith in Jesus Christ himself. It's a faith in Jesus. Healing is not enough. Prospering is not enough. Flourishing is not enough. What we're seeking is not enough. What we need is faith in Jesus Christ. If I've not trampled too much in your heart this morning, let me drive this home a little bit more. You will notice Jesus is not addressing just the official. Twice in this verse, he says you. He's referring to the plural you. He means to address all those in Cana and Capernaum. He means to address you as well. He wants to tell you this morning. That to be a follower of Jesus Christ is not simply to receive from his hand all that you expect. It is to put your confidence to rest, to rely, to believe in him. Notice how the father responds in verse 49. Look there in your Bibles, verse 49. What the man says is, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus challenges the man to believe in him. The man responds by saying, Sir, then come down before my child dies. You may not see this, but the sir or lord there literally demonstrates a toning down of the man's attitude toward Jesus. There's a humility in the word, lord or sir. Even though he's used to commanding other people in his work, here he humbles himself before Jesus. And what this reads like is more like a prayer rather than a command, sir. Would you please come down and heal my son? I believe that you can. I need you. I don't want you to miss that. Can you pause and see what happened there? The man came looking for the healing of his son. He wants it to happen just like the people of Cana want another sign. Just do it for us already. But the interaction with Jesus leads to a subtle but critical shift in his heart from what he is seeking to what Jesus gives. What is Jesus really giving here? Is it healing of his son? Yes, in a moment he will will heal his son. But what I'm really encouraging you to think is Jesus is giving more than healing to his son. Jesus is giving himself to this man. Jesus says in another place, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is not just say, you'll have rest. Jesus says, I will give it to you. And that is always the nature of genuine faith. That's when faith begins. We turn away from what we're asking God to do for us to make our life better so that my life works better. When we turn away from what we want and those wants are eclipsed, By what Jesus himself is able to give. Which is healing. It is a restoration to your marriage. It is protection and care. But fundamental to all of that is not what he gives. It is that he gives himself. He gives himself to you. Now you might wonder, why is that so important? Let me explain. When Jesus gives himself to you, He gives you everything that you need. Not just the healing of a son for this official, not just a marriage that works well now. He gives you contentment and peace in whatever your circumstance is, both for this life and the next. He says from the biggest thing that any of us face, that is, we are rebels against a holy God. Jesus provides for that. And then Jesus goes beyond simple, you're okay now, to walking with us, to being our source of comfort, to being our genuine place of peace, to being the one who gives himself to you. I think sometimes we mistake what Christianity really is. In fact, it's sold to us. It's a way for you to be better or your life to be better. Many Christians across the world today, Zach Francois, our dear brother in Haiti, would not confess that when you become a Christian, all of a sudden your life is immediately better. Living up, living holed up in an airplane hangar So that you are not assaulted or killed by your fellow countrymen is not an easy life. But what Christians across the world and our brother in Haiti this morning can confess is that Jesus himself is enough. And if Jesus is enough, then even if the official son had died, it would not be the end of the story. Even if your marriage never gets better, it can still be okay. Even if the thing that you ask for and pray for all of your life never turns out in the way that you desire, it's still okay. Notice in this story, Jesus does heal this man's son. Praise the Lord. We're very thankful for that. Jesus confirms to this man that his faith in Jesus himself is a faith that ought to be there. And he confirms that through the sign of the healing of his son to the point that when his servants come back and say, what uh, what hour did my son feel better? It was the seventh hour. And the man said, just like Jesus said, Jesus is able to do all of these things, praise the Lord. He can heal, restore. He can tear down. He can provide justice. He can do all of those things. But true faith begins... When what we seek for from the Lord, from Jesus Himself, the things we want Him to do for us is eclipsed by what Jesus Himself provides. I wish I could go back to that office many years ago. I don't know if I would have had the courage to do it. Frankly, by the time she came out with that, I didn't know what to think. But I wish I could go back to this office and say to that dear lady, I'm so thankful you've come to that conclusion. But here's the thing. It's not just a better marriage that you seek. I'm offering to you Jesus himself. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. And maybe you can look at all the places in your life where you think if only these things were different, my life would be so much better. Let me tell you as someone who's imagined that, someone who's prayed for that, someone who has sometimes received that. All those things cannot substitute for Jesus himself. I would love it if you would leave this time listening to my voice, seriously considering, is there any one beside Jesus? One more time and then I'm going to pray. True faith begins. When what we desire from Jesus is eclipsed by what he provides, let's pray. Our Father, we pray for all those things that we have already asked you. We do not pray insincerely. We do pray for healing and restoration. We pray for your help. We pray for your wisdom. But we do not do them apart from Jesus. We do not look to Jesus as just the answer man, someone who can finally get us what we want. We look to him as our hope. We look to him as our hope. We look to Him as the Savior of our souls, as the one who loves us like no one else, the one who is with us like no one else can be, the one who has promised to endure with us. Jesus said to His disciples before He ascended, and I am with you always, even to the end of this age. To the end of the world, I am with you. And then even beyond, He said to His disciples in John, I am going there to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus intends to be with us now, tomorrow, tomorrow and into eternity. And that is where our hope is found. I do pray, Lord, for each person who's hearing this. I pray this also for my own heart, that we would not skip by this easily, but instead this truth would be driven deep into the recesses of our heart and become the foundation upon which we live with joy before your face. It is in Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together wonderful, merciful Savior. worship there are refreshments in the back please spend some time eating but especially enjoying each other there's also time for sermon discussion at quarter after 11 if you want to come back and talk about what i have uh, said this morning you're welcome to otherwise there are also classes for the youth down the wing off to the left when you leave this uh with this room now here is a blessing for you that comes from the word of god as you leave worship may the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.